0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. King Jesus, we come before you. We humble ourselves at your feet. We love moments like this where we're just reminded that the most important calling, the most important vocation, the most important responsibility is first and foremost to be with you and to enjoy being with you. So I pray right now, God, would you open our hearts to speak through your word? Would you allow us as people, as individuals, as families, couples, to be good soil, ready to hear from what you, what you wanna say? To so Holy Spirit, come, fill this place, fill our, our awareness of you right now. we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Thank you, team. Uh, First and foremost, uh, I just want to say, again, welcome. If you've never been here and this is your first time, not every pastor is bald, I promise. I promise. They have staff here that have some follicles left. But but my name is John. I get to serve, as Cody said, as the lead pastor at Center Church, which is like 20 miles down the highway from you. Um, but get to run with a lot of your staff and your pastors on a weekly basis. Let me just say as a total outsider, this is free, it's not on my notes, just want to give it to you, that you have an incredible team and lead pastors here. Don't take them for granted. (laughs) That's what I would say. So yeah, you can honor them. Uh, I personally have grown and matured, not just in leadership, but in faith uh, from being a part of of running with people like David and Blake and, and Brian and Cody and so many other people. Um, but a lot has changed. The last time I was here and was able to bring God's word to you was in March of 2021, which feels like in a different decade, you know? <laughs> I don't know if you feel that way. That's how our family feels, like a totally different time frame. Uh, last March, we were about two months away from having our first child. Her name's Lennon. Uh, she is very cute and very insane, okay? Like, Cute but crazy is one way to define that. Um, And so even before I left today, she was eating a cream cheese bagel and a pen at the same time. You know, like only a one-year-old can pull that off. Uh, What's funny too is last March, I had a head of hair. And so I don't know if those two things are correlated, but if you are a parent, you feel me, you see where this is going, there probably is some correlation here. So I've joined the bald tribe, pretty proud of that as I'm in my 30s now. I'm fully embracing that life. That said, uh, today in our time we're gonna spend in God's word, here's what I wanna do. I wanna make an argument to to you today. I wanna make a case to you today that you probably did not show up to church expecting. I wanna make a case to you, an argument to you that maybe you have never thought about before. But if we embrace the argument, if you embrace kind of where I'm going with this, if you embrace what God's word has to say about this specific discipline, it will radically change your life. And I don't just mean like your spiritual life. I mean your marriage. I mean how you parent kids, even if they are one year old. It will change how you eat, how you behave, how you sleep, how you manage your finances, how you approach a business decision. It will change how you step into a Sunday morning. It will radically shift basically everything in your life if you embrace My premise today that's rooted, I believe in God's word, and here it is. Our life in private is the only life that matters. Our life in private is the only life that matters. Now, immediately, about 90% of you have already disagreed with me, and so I got to work backwards here to get you on my side. That's my goal in the next couple minutes is to get you back on my side because I believe, and I have experienced this personally that what God wants to do in your life is not just change the external things about who you are. It's not to, to, just to shift behaviors or modify uh, even patterns of thought necessarily. What he wants to do is so much bigger and deeper than that. What he wants to do is transform your life from the interior until that leads to the exterior. He wants to change fundamentally who you are and how you relate to him. He wants to change your private world that no one else sees, maybe not even the people closest to you. God has that level of power and that level of desire. And today, as Holly alluded to, we're talking about solitude and the power that has, But I, I believe as you look at the life of Jesus, which we've been doing throughout these disciplines, all of them stem from his life, his practice, his rhythm. And I want to take you to the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous passages in the Scriptures. Jesus' fundamental teaching on the kingdom of God, what it's like to be a kingdom person. And in Matthew 6, verse 1, listen to what Jesus says about this. So let's, let's go to this together. If you have a Bible, pull it out or it'll be right here. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Let me pause there. What did Jesus not say? He didn't say you'll have a level of reward. It's just not as good as it could be. No reward. You have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. This is public to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. I love Jesus's tone. It's sarcastic there. You get that? Some of you, maybe that's your spiritual gift is sarcasm. Like this is, this is your moment. Truly, I tell you. But then he goes on and says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be, here it is again, in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, Jesus is not saying that giving is bad or fasting is bad or prayer is bad or going to a church service, which is a public thing you're doing right here or you're at least watching online. You're, you're maybe doing that in community. He's not saying those things are bad or they're awful or you're, you're less of a Christian for doing them. But what he is saying is that what happens in secret and in private may be the most important thing about your spiritual journey. And for some of us, That's haunting. That's awful news (laughs) because there's such a discrepancy between who we are in public versus who we are in private. And today I want to bring you hope. And I think this scripture brings us hope that through the discipline of solitude, your private life can be the most like life-giving, vibrant, beautiful thing about who you are, about what you bring to this world. So let me clarify, solitude is not just time away where you're quiet by yourself. That's part of it. That's kind of a precursor. But solitude is time spent dedicated in a solitary place, in a solitary season of your life, alone with God. It's one-on-one relationship with your heavenly father who sees you in that place, who sees what you, your heart, he sees your desires, just like Cody led us. He, He sees the things that are heavy on you and burden you right now. That's what solitude is. Another way to put this would be in silence, we come to God, like we take a step towards him, but in solitude, God comes to us. In silence, we come to God, but in solitude, God comes to us. You see this throughout the entire scripture, I mean, it's hard to miss. You read stories of people like Moses who had a regular rhythm of retreating to a mountaintop. And it's on that mountaintop that he asks, God, let me see your glory. I wanna see who you are. Show me a piece of who you are. And God reveals it to him. And it changes Moses. Literally comes off this experience with God on the mount and he is physically changed. But it's a private encounter he has with God that changes his public leadership. You, You can skip ahead. You can go through the next bit of the Old Testament and find major prophets, people like Elijah, who have this incredible showdown on Mount Carmel, which sounds like an ice cream store just waiting you know, to happen. Sorry, I'm a dad. I get to make those, and you are required to laugh. But, but Mount Carmel, he comes off. They have this kind of battle between the prophets of Baal, these enemy prophets of God and Yahweh and his way in the world. And then Elijah, through this incredible act of faith, defeats them and God comes down, powerful move of God. But then right on the heels of that, Elijah retreats. He gets away. He has a rhythm of solitude with God. Fast forward to even people you would know. I mean, people like Paul like has this encounter, this terrorist-turned Christian leader. He has this encounter on the road to Damascus where literally God shows up to him in this powerful moment, this radical encounter. Saul's life has changed. His name has changed to Paul. But then what we learn is that he didn't just go and start planting churches all over the known world. Paul takes three and a half years in Arabia, which just sounds like hot, sweaty desert, and it is. And he takes his time in the wilderness to have A moment a season of life where he's studying believing that he was in solitude and then you fast forward to Jesus probably the most common known example of solitude Jesus had a rhythm of solitude in his life really you read the beginning of the gospel of Mark and other places throughout the gospel stories over and over again to the annoyance of his closest followers Jesus is getting away And they're trying to pull him out of solitude at times. Maybe you've remembered some of these stories. It's like Jesus goes to a solitary place and he prays, but they're saying over and over again, Jesus, we have people to heal. We have stuff to do. We have things to accomplish. Your kingdom can't just spread by you going off into the wilderness and being alone with the father. And Jesus would disagree. See, our private life, our life in private, really, even to Jesus, the only thing that matters. French writer, Louis Boyer, puts it this way. Solitude is a terrible trial, for it serves to crack open and burst apart the shell of our superficial securities. It opens out to us the unknown abyss that we all carry within and discloses the fact that these abysses are haunted. It gets through all of the facade. It gets through all the things we put on, and it breaks us down to who we truly are which is why for Jesus, your private life is incredibly important. Our private, our life in private is the only life that matters. And this really bugs me as a a leader because I have friends who will say things like, and I've said things like, well, just they're a good boss. They don't need to be a good person. Well, they're an incredible pastor. I don't care what they do the rest of the week. I don't care. As long as I don't know about it, I don't see it. As long as they're a good president, I don't care what they do in their private life. Now there may be shreds of truth. We could debate that back and forth, but the scriptures wouldn't know any other way besides total congruence between who you are in private and who you are in public. And perhaps some of the breakdown we're experiencing in society is because we've allowed those things to be separated Our life in private is the only life that matters. One of the reasons this is true is because privacy, your life in secret, like Jesus talks about, it breeds honesty before God because there's nothing else to put on. There's no worship leader, there's no pastor, there's no friend, there's no mentor, no spouse. It's just you in the silence. And God can do something powerful When we get away, when we say, I'm going to concentrate my time, I'm going to emphasize this in my daily life, I'm going to adopt this practice and let it shift my life from the the day in and the day out. In Psalm 139, one of my favorite Psalms, David writes not just that he's fearfully and wonderfully made, but he also gives us invitation to, to God's presence. He says, search me and know me. See if there's anything not congruent in my private life, in, my, uh, in accordance to my public life. Search me and know me. That is a incredibly dangerous prayer. But if you pray it, God will do it. He will help you see through the areas of life where maybe you have yet to live into your full God-given potential. As I said, I have a, one, a 13-month-old daughter, uh, Lennon Joy, and she is a lot of joy, but I have the, the privilege of being her dad. And there's a couple days each week where it just works out in terms of our schedules that I'm alone at home with her. Dad, you feel me, the terror that happens when your wife is like, hey, I'm gonna be gone for the day. You got the kids. It's like, oh my gosh, you trust me a lot. That's how I feel every time Lindsay leaves. Like we've been married eight and a half years, but there's still, there's nothing that scares me more sometimes than her giving, giving Lent to me for the day. But recently, she's been doing this thing. So she is a walker. I mean, literally, she plays hard and sleeps hard, thankfully, because I wouldn't make it. Like, if she didn't sleep, we'd be in big trouble because constantly in her wake window, she is moving everywhere, and everything is something to eat, you know? You know, so like everything is edible to her. Everything is worth opening and breaking open and moving and taking into another room than the room it's supposed to be in. Like, it is, that is the season of life we're in. But recently I found out as I'm alone with her, silence from Lennon is a bad thing. It's bad. You know, like if I just get a little lazy and start to scroll Instagram for like two minutes and Lennon was in front of me on the couch and no longer is in front of me and the house is quiet, trouble. It's, it's bad. It's never something good. She's never in her room praying in secret. Like it is, there are things happening Uh, sometimes physiologically, that you don't want to happen. Like she literally has this obsession right now with toilet paper, okay? So she is the the kind of kid who just will spin it as much as possible, as much as she can ingest in a day. That's like her life goal, is how much toilet paper can I consume? Like that's the season of life we're in. And so finally, we just said, you know what? Forget it. We're taking all the toilet paper off the rolls in every bathroom in our house or putting it on the counter. If you're an adult, hopefully you can reach it. Like that's, if you come to our house, that's the reality we're in right now. You're not you're not getting a nice roll experience. It's like a a, a challenge right now to go to the bathroom because of, of the havoc that causes. But as her dad, like she doesn't think I can see what she's doing. Like she thinks she's really smart. She thinks if I just kind of, to scat away and then I just pull all the toilet paper off the roll or go eat something I'm not supposed to or or tear into the mail for the day, like dad's not gonna know because he's not in the room with me. Some of you already got it. Like we do that with Jesus. We think if it's not seen, he doesn't know. If it's not seen, someone's not gonna find out. And Jesus's encouragement and sober caution to all of us is that your father sees what's done in secret. And that can be incredibly beautiful, liberating even, freeing even. If we embrace the fact that our life in private is the only life that matters, it will change everything else when we open ourselves up to that. Worship pastor Bob Coughlin puts it this way. If I gauge my maturity by what I do when others can see me, I may be terribly deceived about my true state before God terribly deceived and we are incredible creatures at self-deception and Jesus for some of you today wants to free you from that wants to set you free and the discipline of solitude will get you in touch with that I find it really interesting you read the Gospels; we just read a little sliver of that in Matthew 6 as you read the gospels knowingly there was only about one or two instances in the gospel stories where we know that Jesus did anything accomplished or recorded in the first 30 years of his life if I'm the heavenly father and I'm looking at a productivity scale for Jesus, what a colossal waste. Like how, how much more of the kingdom of God could have spread? Who could he have healed when he was 29 that he didn't heal? Who, what miracles could he have performed that, that he didn't perform? Why? Because Jesus had an emphasis on prioritizing time with the father, it was preparation. It was time in solitude. It was a private life that some of us this side of heaven would never even know. What did he do? Why? Because for Jesus, his life in private fueled his life in public ministry and leadership. We think 30 seconds of solitude is painful. Try 30 years. But to Jesus, this was critical. This was important. And so I wanna talk for a minute just why, why don't we practice solitude? Why don't we do this? It's not like we don't have the time because most of us have the time. It's not that we don't know what to do because it, you, when you get alone with God, it kind of, he takes over. He, he sends to do the rest. You maybe had moments like that, but we just don't practice it. We don't do it. It's sim- similar to fasting. It's one of those counter-cultural disciplines that just doesn't even make sense. Like we fasted together as a church a couple weeks ago. Maybe some of you did this here and it was like, starving the God of my stomach is the worst thing I could possibly be doing. It is the discipline I am the worst at. And solitude is close because of a few of these reasons. Number one, I think a lot of us just live distracted lives. And that's obvious. Like you, The average American picks up their phone 96 times a day. Some of you maybe have done that already this morning, you know, like your screen time report on your iPhone's like, just, I'm going to close that for a moment. I don't really want to see that, but we live distracted so often. We're, we're caught up in billboards and media and TV and, and having constant audio and noise in our, in our home. The first thing we pick up is a phone and the last thing we put down is a phone. Like we live in a distracted, hurried, rushed culture, no question about it. So I think that's one reason. The second reason is I think a lot of us, especially if you grew up in this, this region, we want to be viewed as productive and successful. I don't want people to assume, even as a pastor, that I'm unproductive or unsuccessful, which is why solitude is so countercultural. It doesn't feel productive and you don't get any kind of physical, earthly success achievement from being alone with God for a set period of time. And so it drives us crazy. It's like, I, well, that, I, have to, I have things to do. I have people to meet with. I've got kids to handle. I've got decisions to make with my money or, or with my house. I've got things I need to achieve and accomplish. And solitude doesn't allow those things to take place the way that we want them to. We live distracted. And I think we live with a desire, a burden on us to be productive and successful. But I don't necessarily think those are the the main reasons. I want to give you a third reason, a deeper reason that we don't practice solitude. I think for many of us, if we got alone with God, we we would have to face our fear that maybe he doesn't like us. Maybe he's disappointed in us. Maybe he doesn't think that highly of us. And so we don't come to him. Like Lenin running off into the bathroom to find the next roll of toilet paper, we think he doesn't see, I'm just going to live kind of independently from him. But let me give you some hope and encouragement. The cross says Otherwise. The cross, what we sang about this this incredible moment, this dividing line in human history, it says that God, the closer he gets to you, the more he likes you. (laughs) The closer you get to your heavenly father, the more he desires to walk in actual everyday relationship with you, to be with you before ever asking you to do anything. He enjoys solitude with you. This is the hope of the gospel itself, this is wrapped up in this discipline. This is why it's incredibly beautiful to to practice solitude because it really is the most important thing you can do. Your private life is really the only life that matters and it's fueled by rich daily rhythm of solitude. Uh, Some of you were around and maybe even heard this story, but December 29th, 1972, there was a group of about 100 or so people who were taking the the first maiden flight on Eastern Airlines Flight 401. And they were flying from from New York City, JFK Airport, to Miami. Now, December 29th, Miami, let's go. (laughs) I mean, sign me up. I, I would love to take that trip. I will take that with you if you so desire. If you're gonna pay for my flight, I will get on it. No question. Like, that sounds like a dream. But as they're about 20 or so miles away from the Miami airport, the, some of the captains in, in the cockpit notice that the landing gear kind of indicator that everything's going well, the green light that should flip on as the landing gears engage, doesn't go on. It's kind of flickering. And so this being one of the first flights in this airplane, I mean, the pilot assumes like, okay, we've got a, a light that's wrong. The electrician screwed up. We've got to figure this out. And so they call in some other of the crew and say, hey, do you, do you see this? Like, this is flickering on and off. Like, I'm not really sure what's happening, but we'll be fine. Let's just continue to plan. And so people are kind of like gathering in the cockpit now. Like uh, the crew, the, uh, the stewards, the stewardesses are coming in, like trying to figure out like, oh yeah, I see that light. I see that it's flickering on and off. What, what the crew did not realize is that they were slowly descending during this whole, whole chaos they had completely disregarded the fact that their plane was going down. And eventually Eastern Airlines flight crashes 18 miles from Miami, killing over 100 people. It's, it's devastating. One of the worst fatalities crashes in, in this season of airlines. See, we can go to church, you can serve on a team, you can give your money. You can look good, you can exercise, you can work out, you can sing all of the worship songs every single morning at frontline at the top of your voice, you can give it all. But if we neglect intimacy with God and solitude, we are just like that cabin crew trying to figure out how to flicker the light back on. We are missing the most important thing. We are missing the reason we were created and it's for life relationship, daily walking with God, a transformation of our private world. And I'm not exempt from this. Literally six months ago, sitting in a worship service, the speaker's done speaking, and in the kind of anonymity of a big crowd, I had a solitude moment with the Lord. And because he loves me and because he's so incredibly patient with me, he pointed out an area of life, a, a sin pattern that I had decided was not interrupting my ministry. I could keep it going if I wanted to. It wasn't really harming my marriage because it wasn't known. And there was a moment where God just gently whispered, you need to tell somebody. You need to say it. You need to get it out there. You need to confess. You need to repent. You need to turn. You need to get healing. And, and that was a massive shift for me I and mean, this is fresh We're talking march and immediately one of the first passages that came to my mind was an it was an ancient text 2nd Kings 17 8 through 10 there's a line in those couple verses in which it says the Israelites did things secretly against the Lord secretly remember Jesus's words in Matthew 6 his hope is that in secret would be the best version of you, that your private life would be the thing that fuels everything else. And yet for Israel and for me, the secret place was where I hid things from the Lord. It's where I didn't want to bring those things to light. I was afraid of what he would do. I was afraid of who he was. And so I missed out. I missed out on an even better marriage than I have now, missed out on, on being the congruent leader maybe I wished I had been. I missed out on things God wanted to do, why? Because there were there was an inability, there was a, a lack of desire on my part to come before God in solitude, to get real with him. And on the heels of that decision, I just wanna encourage you, let your life in private be the most important thing, most beautiful thing about you. Maybe you're sitting here today, you got that inner dissonance like I did. There's things that you are maybe doing secretly against the Lord. It's hurting your relationships. It's affecting your own integrity. It's it's ruining your reputation silently. I just tell you, God is coming for a pure bride. He wants to make you real. He wants to make you whole. He wants to heal you. He wants to have your inner life be just as clear and beautiful and transparent as your public life. So can I give you one quick encouragement? And then I wanna share just a closing thought. This week, if you're adopting some of these practices on, don't just practice alone time. Don't just make it a point to, to get away. That may be how you begin, but don't met that, let that be the point. Let the point be solitude true intimacy with a father who sees you in secret who loves you desperately who's given every single part of himself to you so that you would know him and be and be known in return don't just practice alone time that's the wrong thing don't just walk out of here and say okay google calendar here's where i'm getting away you may need to do that but don't let that be the end maybe for you it is that practical you need to set a meeting Jesus says in Matthew six, to shut the door. <laughs> like maybe you need to shut the door on other priorities, other meetings, other sporting events, other things, other priorities, other distractions to get alone, to be in solitude in the solitary place with Jesus himself. The thought I have is that as I was about 18 years old, I was listening to this, I was at a concert I was in a season of life where I was trying to flex my independence from the Lord. I had moved from Caledonia, Michigan to Auckland, New Zealand in an attempt to get away from some of that inner dissonance that I was facing as a high schooler. And I saw a band that I'd seen a bunch of, a few times before. I'd been like run sound tech for them. I'd done things with this band, but they were in concert in New Zealand. I went to see them and they sang a song. I don't know if you're, if you're like this, but They sang a song that I'd listened like the first two minutes of and I skipped to the next one. (laughs) Like your Spotify user, you do that all the time. Just like I do, you skip over. And I never listened to the end of the song, but at the end of the song, there was this line and it's haunted me since I heard it 13 years ago. What are you doing when no one's watching? What are you doing? Children, get your hearts right. God's coming for a pure bride. And I didn't know what that meant because I had not spent time alone in solitude. But that can be your reality. What we're gonna do is actually, Caroline's gonna lead us and just sing that over you and give you some space. At the end of singing this little kind of part of the song, we're just gonna take 30 seconds to a minute where the room is quiet and you just get to be alone with God, maybe for the first time ever. I wanna encourage you just to lean into that moment, but I'd love to pray for you before we do that. Would you join me? Father, thank you that you see us and you know us and you love us. You like being around us. But your invitation for us is to be 100% transparent, 100% real, 100% authentic to the people we present ourselves to. So God, I pray that as we take this moment, this space with you, that you would speak, you would encourage, and you would challenge. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you wanna take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.